people here have a soul? Does everybody here have a soul? Soul? Do you have a soul? Do you have a soul? <laughs> You're all wrong. None of you have souls. You are a soul. You have a body. That was my little C.S. Lewis trickery that he he uses in one of his books. But it's 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 a it's a very important distinction. We are a soul. That is us. You're a soul. Charlotte, you're a soul. You have a body. And this body is going to pass away. And it will even be replaced with a different body. But you will always be Charlotte. You will always be Juliet. You will always be Carl. Because your soul is who you are. You are a soul. And your body is given to you. It's a tool. Now... We interact with each other with our bodies. We talk. Words come out of our mouths. They come into the ears of the other person. And we're constantly sinning against each other with our bodies. But it's actually our soul that's doing the sinning. It's using the body to sin. There's a bad philosophy ever since Christianity called Gnosticism. And you two know about silent letters, right? It doesn't start with an N. Gnosticism doesn't start with an N. It starts with a G. It's a silent G. Like, no, it starts with a K. Right. Exactly. Very good. It is, it means secret knowledge. And the secret knowledge that they claimed to have was that the souls are all good. The body's bad. The body's doing all this stuff and we need to control it. Or we need to forbid it from doing anything and concentrate only on the spiritual. All matter, all flesh is bad according to Gnosticism. All spirit is good. Now what Christ says is the spirit has been corrupted. That's what the fall, that's what happened with the fall. The fall just wasn't some magical thing that happened to the flesh. You know, Adam and Eve didn't eat the forbidden fruit, and then the forbidden fruit tainted their body chemistry. It was disobedience to God, and that cursed God, cursed their souls themselves because of it. They were cursed. Their bodies fell too because. The body is the tool that the soul uses. So that's what sin is. Sin is a corruption of the soul. And that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He calls the crowd to him. He says, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles the man. It's not something from outside of you that you accidentally touch. You don't accidentally fall into sin. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man. And he left it at that, and that, of course, confused everybody because he needed to go deeper because we're not too bright. And neither am I. And that's why I need this to tell me. The disciples came to him and said, you know, the Pharisees were offended when they heard the statement. Why? Because the Pharisees are all about the flesh. They're all about making themselves look sin-free, appear, appear, Sin-free, 
to everybody. They want everybody to think, hey, this guy's not a sinner. But their souls are still corrupt because they're not concentrating on the souls. Jesus came with a different message. The soul needs to be fixed. Then the flesh will follow. The flesh is still important. But the soul is the thing that's corrupt. Jesus answered them and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. He's pretty much saying the Pharisees were plants not planted by God. They were planted by the enemy. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Into a pit. The Pharisees were essentially Gnostics. They were people that were focusing on the flesh being bad and cleaning up the flesh and that their soul and that spirit was good. And so they were leading people astray. Telling them, as Christ says elsewhere, the outside of the cup is the part that needs to be cleaned. The part that people see is what's important. Christ says it's the part people don't see. That's the important part that you need to worry about. So the Pharisees were not cleaning the inside of the cup. Have you ever had a soda out of a glass that used to have milk in it and no one washed the milk out of the glass? Would you like to have one of those? No, it's not, it's not tasty. There's some that say that even if milk has ever been in a glass, that even if you clean the glass, that the milk will taint whatever non-milk thing goes into the glass. It's weird. But you don't want to do that. You want to clean the inside of the cup. The Pharisees weren't cleaning the inside of the cup. Peter said to him, explain the parables to us, because he hasn't figured it out. Jesus said, you're still lacking in understanding also. Well, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth is processed by the body, right? It goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, your soul, the corrupt part of you. And that, depending on what's coming out, is what defiles you. It's coming from you. You're the sinner. You're not an innocent person who accidentally sins. You're a sinner who sins. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Notice that Jesus, totally different message from the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like, well, I can have my evil thoughts all I want, but as long as I don't act out on them, I'm okay. And that's what the world believes now. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't acted on it. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't acted on it. Jesus said, the thoughts. There are a lot of people in this world that haven't killed anybody, but they really want to. Hear that if you go to Twitter, you can find a lot of them shouting out death to people. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries. We, we, Carl and I talk about this all the time. We live on the beach. And especially this time of year, all these scantily clad women are going up and down the beach. And we're like, no thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, 
false witness. That's that's a completely thought-based thing. You're saying black is white, up and down, up is down, good is bad. You're accusing someone of evil that that they're innocent of. Or the opposite, accusing someone of innocence. You're You're bearing false witness. Slanders. These things, these are the things which defile a man. And but to eat un, with unwashed hands, which is what the Pharisees were complaining about. You're not washing your hands. It has nothing to do with germ theory. They didn't know germ theory until about late eight, 1800s. They just were doing ritual washing because it was part of their visual appearance. They wanted people to see that they were better than them. We had figured it out. It's all about making ourselves look good. The outside of the cup needing to be clean. That's Jesus telling us that the soul is corrupt. Now, the one who joins himself to the Lord, this is according to the Apostle Paul, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. God does this amazing thing. When you become a Christian, you repent of your sins and become and have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You become a Christian, and God sends his spirit to commune with your spirit inside of you. Your spirit's still there. You are still there because you're the soul. Your body now becomes what Paul calls the temple. Of God, and you don't want to defile this temple. Try as you might, you will not be able to master over sin without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alerts us to sin. It tell He tells us when we are sinning, and we begin sinning less. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. God is God's spirit connected to our spirit. Then he says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral sin, the immoral man sins against his own body. It's a very confusing passage, verse. Very confusing because he's, he's kind of saying there are two kinds of sin. Now, we know from the Ten Commandments, all of those sins still separate us from God, still make us sinners worthy of hell. Even the slightest thought sin is offensive to the holy God. So what does he mean here? He's, it looks like he's comparing two sins. And the Greek... Instead of immoral man, the immoral man sins against his own body. It says the one who practices immorality. That's what the literal Greek is. And I know Carl knows what I'm talking about because we've talked about this in in our studies. Often, there's a difference between one who practices sin and one who stumbles into sin occasionally. The Christian has repented of his sins and 
is attempting, wrestling over sinning no more. But we still have these fleshy bodies. And we still have minds, brains, that start focusing on sinful things. And as God's spirit cleans up our spirit, and our spirit stops, as Christ said, sinful things come out of us because our soul is corrupt. The Holy Spirit's starting to clean up our soul. But our flesh, who's been controlled by our soul, keeps remembering how it used to be. And so our flesh keeps sinning. Not as practice, but as an occasional undesired sinful thing. One who practices sin is one who does not have the Holy Spirit connected to their spirit is an unbeliever. They don't even believe in sin. They don't even think that there's something to wrestle against. They think this is just life. Practice is not, I'm, I'm not getting good at sinning yet. No, it's the definition that goes with doctor. Practicing medicine. You're, you've gone, you know how to do it. You're practicing medicine. The sin, the sin, the unrepentant sinner is practicing sin. The Christian is a repentant sinner, still a sinner, but a penitent sinner who is not, is working on not practicing sin. The Holy Spirit is helping them. And whenever they do sin, the Holy Spirit, connected to our spirit, says, you sinned, and brings the Christian to his or her knees in penitence. That's what that means. Flee immorality. Because as you're sinning, that's outside of you, but if you're practicing sin, it's destroying you. Because once you die... That's it. If you never had the Holy Spirit cleaning you up on the inside, once you die and it's just your soul there and the sin that you never got rid of, and then death for the non-believer is eternal separation from God, no chance of getting that Holy Spirit to clean them up anymore. That soul is now alone, left to the sin that it always had. We always have our sins with us. But the believer at death, the sin is purged completely. The unbeliever at death, God allows the sin to finally have them completely. And, there, and we see with the ungodly different degrees of sin. You know, you've got your serial killers who've just gone off the the deep end and it's over. Sin is already already mastering them. But then there are many people who don't believe, but they seem to be leading good lives. That's due to God, not not his spirit with their spirit communing, but his prevenient grace, his grace outside of them. 
the Holy Spirit preventing them from sinning completely. He's working in the lives of everyone, even unrepentant sinners. It's just that he's on the outside adjusting things, keeping this unrepentant sinner from doing too much damage. Some people he allows to do a lot of damage. Some people he doesn't. But he's involved in everything. And then once death comes and you're eternally separated from God, then this, the sin that we've had all of our lives will take over. Flee immorality. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? When the Holy Spirit is communing with your spirit in your temple now, used to be your body, now it's God's temple because God is now in there. You are not your own. He now takes ownership. It's not like you're just allowing him in. Okay, God, you know, here are the ground rules. Don't go in the kitchen. Don't go in the fridge. There's some stuff in there I don't want you to touch. Don't throw out the expired stuff. Come on, just, you know. No, God goes in and he starts throwing out the expired stuff. It's, it's, his, it's his temple now. And, the, and like I said, the flesh will occasionally stumble. But the Holy Spirit to the believer that, that's there will say, Hey, you're messing up my temple. And bring us to our knees in repentance. You are not your own. And that's a very difficult concept for people to grasp. Your soul is God's. If you're a, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer... Your soul is God's. He owns you. And we've got a nice long history worldwide of people owning other people. And that is just a horrible thing. So we distance ourselves from all concepts of that. But this is the good ownership. I want God to own me. Because when I own myself, I screw it up. God owning me, that's a good thing because I know he's always going to make the best decisions for my life. I need to listen to his spirit in me so that when I do occasionally sin, I can hear him telling me so. And I hear him telling me so through his word and through my conscience, which he has given all rational creatures so that they can hear him properly. And then this helps clarify. Otherwise, I'm like, without this, I'm like Peter going, okay, I don't understand what you mean about the food and the, and the mouth and going in and out. What is that? I go to the Bible. Peter didn't have it. He helped write it. But I have this. And so that when I'm confused and my conscience starts screaming at me because the Holy Spirit is lighting up my conscience... <coughs> I say, oh, let me figure this out. Let me go to God's word, and he will tell me specifically what the problem is. You are not your own, or you have been bought with a price. 
Now, what's that price? And that's what I'm going to finish with. What's the price? What's the gospel? Right. The price is the spilled blood of Jesus. His blood, being God, is enough to cover the cost for the souls of every single believer and who will believe and who has believed in all the world, in all history. Our own blood cannot cover our own sins. That's why when we're cut off, we're paying for it. The sins win because our own blood was not able to cover our own sins. Christ's blood, God applies his blood to his believers. That's why Christ came. He died to spill his blood. And it's the only sufficient payment for the sins of the world, of believers. That's it. That's the only thing possible. We say, why? The world says, why isn't there more than one way to God? And we respond, aren't we glad that he made a way? Because it's the most strange and yet the only possible way. Because the way, the way to God is not a path up a mountain that we have to climb. The way to God is an obstacle that needs to be removed. Our sin separates us from God for eternity. The only thing that can take away that obstacle is the blood of Christ to remove that so that we have access to God. So it's the, the way to God is not a path that you must take. All men must take their own path. All those paths lead nowhere toward God. The only path that leads to God is the obstacle of sin removed and God grabbing us and yanking us to him. That's the gospel. Amen. Please stand.